Hello. On today's Dr. Dean show, we have a very special guest talking to us about all things regarding public schools in Texas and how parents can navigate everything from an ARD meeting all the way to 504 meetings. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing from her. Dr. Dean Beckloff has been working as a counselor with students, families, kids, and teens for over 40 years. As the founder of the Beckloff Behavioral Health Center, Dr. Dean focuses on children and families that need a little extra help via counseling. Each week with Dr. Elizabeth Zach, we discuss all things family-related to help people create the positive family they want to build. Welcome to the Dr. Dean Show. Our special guest today is Robin Fishman. She's a counselor for Brentfield Elementary School, yep. and in, that is in the Richardson School District. Uh, Robin also works as a counselor and a therapist for us at Becklock Behavioral Health Center. We are so privileged to have Robin here today. She has a vast amount of experience and knowledge, and we're so glad to have you here today, Robin. Um, and would love to hear anything that you have to share, because you've been at it for a not long time. Long. Oh, no, not long at all. No, I started when I was 10. Robin, no. <laughs> how long have you been working as a school counselor? Uh, and yes. can you tell us a little bit about your role as a school sure. counselor? Um, I have been working as a school counselor. This is my 25th year. Holy cow. Wow. How's that uh, 28 total in education, 25 years as a school counselor, eight years in Irving, and then my this 20 years, I'm celebrating my 20th year in Richardson ISD which has been an incredible school district. I'm so blessed to be a part of such an amazing team of counselors and staff. And I work at incredible, incredible school. Um, and uh, I just feel so fortunate to be there. School counseling, to be perfectly honest, is really one of the best jobs in the building. I know teachers love their work and so do all the other support staff, but school counseling is really the best job in the building. We now, get to work you, with kids. to be a school counselor, you had to do some teaching too. Yes. And did and you enjoy that as well? I did. I, I did. did I, I loved it. But um, I had, I knew, like I had my master's degree before I started teaching. And I really just needed to figure out how to get in the schools because I figured, you know what, if they show up every day, then I have work to do. <laughs> so, um, so I actually was in a behavior unit for my first three oh, years. Okay. And then um, right at the end of my first three years, you had, at the time, had to teach for three years. And, and so, a behavior unit would be kids who are having some behavioral issues yeah. is that right yes and okay. at the time uh, i was in irving isd and at the time they uh it was not a neighborhood uh program it was kids were bussed in from all over the district mm -hmm. for our elementary behavioral oh. unit so um we had all kids from all over and no day was ever the same but i guess no day is ever the same as a school counselor anyway so i love that and um i just feel so fortunate that i get to hang out with kids all day, I you know, know, and help kids. And yes, there are definitely other parts of our job, but I relish in the opportunity to talk to kids all the time and mm -hmm. help them and support them. And, you know, the thing that makes school counseling amazing, and Dr. Dean, you know this because you are a former school counselor, always love kids, but um, the best part is that we have the entire system right in our hands, right? We have the kid, mm -hmm. of course, we have the teacher, we have the other staff members that are working with that student, and we have the friends, which is huge. We get to watch them and the social dynamic. 
And then, of course, we get to work with their parents. Absolutely, yeah. So it is, it is full throttle. Yeah. It is, that's what makes our job so amazing. And you know, I think, uh, just reflecting on what you just said, I think part of the reason I loved being a teacher is I loved working with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they always put with the older ones, you know, fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth, but I loved working with mm-hmm. kids. And I think that's you too. You mm-hmm. enjoy kids and you can tell. You can just tell yeah. that you do. Thank you. And as a school counselor, you enjoy working with the kids too. And then, like I said, Robin works for us mm-hmm. doing private practice That's counseling right. as well. And we are just so fortunate and Thank blessed you. to have you. Guess what? This is my October. It's my four-year anniversary oh my of working at oh, Beckloff. Well, so um, I, it does fly. It went fast. I saw an opening with all things happening with COVID. Like, I need to be doing something in addition um, with an opportunity to support kids and, and, um, Dr. Beckloff and I had talked about it once before and I just kind of let it lie dormant and, um, it just felt like the right time. And I did that too. I worked Mm -hmm. as a, as a school counselor at Preston Wood. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but Mm. just right down from, (laughs) right down the street, just right down the road from where you are at and loved it and then began working on the side privately Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's really very fulfilling. It. It's very fulfilling. Yeah. I, I feel like it's an interesting shift and um, it gives me a lot of perspective on the school counselor side. I feel like I really have an opportunity to help my private clients because mm-hmm. I understand the language of school. Mm-hmm. I understand what a day in the life of a student is, the stress, um, all those little nuances that are school. Um, so I feel like I have the opportunity to provide that with my you know, working with my private students. And I also think that I understand as a private therapist, um, how, you know, the questions to ask and Mm -hmm. to help understand what's happening and to be a resource to parents. So I'm finding that work great. I always, one of my favorite authors wrote a book called Playground Politics. Mm -hmm. And I always (laughs) thought they're walking into a political minefield Mm -hmm. every day, like all adults are. are. However, None of them have social skills. 100%. Right. So right. kids yeah. will say mm-hmm. things to each other that, you know, we probably wouldn't as adults. Probably, it's... maybe. But, <laughs> you know, they they are in a really interesting situation. They, yeah. re- they really are. And I think, you know, sometimes even with adults, I'm like, you know, they just took their ball and left the playground. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes adults will do that. Mm-hmm. They just take their ball and they leave the, they leave the field. Um, I think... Gosh, we could talk a long time about that oh. because there's so much going on with young people and things are very different than they were when I was growing up, when you guys were growing up, mm-hmm. even when our 35, 40 year old parents today were growing up, school is very different. Yeah. And the politics of school, I love that. The politics of school are really different and kids and parents really need to have lots of good conversations at home about the things to talk about at school and the things to just go ahead and leave at home yeah. mm-hmm. because yeah. it is it is can be hot water for kids and they don't even realize it because it's conversation happening outside of school that then comes into school and so um, that's interesting when, when my kids were in junior high and high school and you guys know because you've had mm-hmm. junior high and high school kids mm-hmm. but they would bring that kind of environment that mm-hmm. they're at into our home and just be kind of, 
I hope this is okay to say, mouthy, mm-hmm. uh, kind of mean, kind of mm-hmm. rude. Mm-hmm. And so we would have a little conversation every now mm-hmm. and then to say, I know you have to deal with that at school and you're always dealing with it, yeah. but let's not bring that into our home. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, I'm thrilled that you're here. Um, you know, I think I, I, I feel so fortunate that we're colleagues, but also I get to call you a friend. So mm, I think too. you're amazing. I think Thank you do you. amazing work. And I know that the kids um, at Brentfield, but also your private clients are, are so blessed because um, you're just so skilled. So I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about some of these things. We are questioned um, as, as on the private side of things, um, parents, don't know where to start if their mm-hmm. kids are struggling. Mm-hmm. If they are struggling with social issues, if their kids are struggling with social issues, if they're struggling with emotional issues, if they have concerns about possible learning differences. And so I would love if you can provide a little bit of education sure. for us on on what a parent can do. Well, the first thing a parent can do really is um, talk to their classroom teacher ask a lot of questions about what they're seeing, how they think their child's performing, really sit at home and read with them, listen to the way that they read, listen to their voice, listen to their rate, reading rate and accuracy, um, all of those things that they're concerned about reading issues. I know, you know, this is a time where there's not a ton of homework coming home, but I say, like, if your student is coming home with work in their Friday folder, if you will, look at that work, really look at the corrections that are being made, pay attention. Sometimes kids struggle because they make careless mistakes, and sometimes kids struggle because they truly don't understand the content, and I think that's important to help identify. Um, Again, asking a lot of questions of the teacher, and really take stock in you know what they're seeing on paper in mm-hmm. terms of how they're performing um, i think the next steps is really just listening to that teacher a lot of times like in my case our students you know are there year after year so we're really fortunate that we really get a history with mm-hmm. our students um, but that's not certainly not all always the case and most often not the case but um really just asking whether or not they think that there's more going on. And if that's the case, then um, talk to the teacher about what are some options that the school Which provides. I think, is, I think that's so important because, you know, if the parent is showing some concern to the teacher and is having some awareness of that, more than likely the teacher has noticed it too. Correct. And if they will yeah. verify, yeah, we, mm-hmm. I see the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes for a parent it's hard because if you have multiple children, you might be comparing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why that non, you know, that extra set of eyes to really give you some feedback there, comparing against 21 other kids, 23 other kids in their classroom, you know, you know, your kiddo is really on the average of what I'm seeing across all of my students, or they are struggling a little bit more. I think that's really helpful information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as they're gathering information and talking to teachers and, and really asking those important questions, I don't I don't think we have to rush in, in a sense, like if we're asking early and we're paying attention early, I don't think we have to rush to right. an evaluation, but it's certainly something that public schools offer and private institutions offer. So, and that's a full and individual evaluation um, that looks at the scope of all different things. So, I'm glad you mentioned that about private schools because private schools now are getting into that business a little bit more. 
you know, they're recommending testing now. They're mm -hmm. recommending that they will put together a plan as well, like mm -hmm. public yes. schools have been Absolutely. doing for a long time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And they are required to. Right. Mm -hmm. Because just because they're in private school doesn't mean that they a student can't have their needs met in a very specific way, which I think is amazing, yeah. actually. I think that's a great coup for private school students and their families. Right. Um, but wherever that family decides to have their evaluation done, whether it's public school or private evaluations through private agencies, um, that information is so valuable. It gives us a, a really a lot of information that we can use to support a student in school. Um, and so we, we look very deeply at all of that information that's provided to us and of, of course the recommendations and you know when we get recommendations from evaluations whether they're public or private again we run those recommendations through the teacher through our own experiences because not everything on the list is appropriate mm -hmm. for that student but mm -hmm. we're looking at all of that information and helping to come mm -hmm. together and think about a plan for how to support them. Mm -hmm. So and I'm learning, um, I think the language has changed, um, but before perhaps testing is done, is there a, another mm -hmm. level of Great question. SST, is that what well, it is? Or it used RTI, to be? RTI, RTI, Re RTI. So, um, yeah, MTSS. MTSS, uh, yeah, multi tiered okay system support. And I think so, SSI is through Plano. I think that's yeah, what they call it. Yeah, I think it. probably yeah. different districts Dis do different, different things. Yes. But right. really, it used to be commit, I think. Really yeah. what we're doing is, I mean, every teacher, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine any teacher not, but every teacher does everything in their power to support a kid. That's just what we do. Right. And what it's called differentiating instruction. We differentiate based on what a student needs. And so what works for one might not work for another, might not work for another. And that's not just academically, it's behaviorally, it's emotionally. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it looks like, oh, we're doing more for this kid than this kid, but no, this is what this kiddo needs. This is what this kid needs. And so we are providing um, all kinds of supports, right. even prior to that conversation about right. assessment. Can, so, I, can I just say, that's so critical for everyone to understand, even us as parents, we give according to need. Right. Uh, the kids are always calling right. parents to give according to equality. Right. I want the same amount of candy Fairness. as she got. Fairness. And so the parents' duty and role is to say, we give according to need, right. not according to making sure everything's equal. Right. We want to make sure everyone is getting what they must have Absolutely. and need. And so that's Absolutely. what you're speaking to, yeah. including academically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and socially, emotionally. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody, it, one student's gonna need something different than another. Mm -hmm. And a good teacher knows how to balance that out so all of her students feel, or his students feel, like they are getting what they need. Yeah. And you know, it's it's sometimes it's hard. It's, it's now, hard. Getting to what Dr. Zach was asking, do you sometimes have a a group meeting at school prior to oh, yeah. deciding <laughs> we're going to address this through testing and then maybe entering yeah. into another program. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we do something on our campus and I know Plano does it too. Um, all, all districts do it. It's basically like a staffing, if you will. Mm -hmm. it, we call it a kid doc. Mm -hmm. It's really either a classroom teacher or another staff member that says, hey, can we come to the table and talk about this kiddo? I'm, I might, 
I want to kind of put all of our heads together to figure out how best to support this kiddo. And we'll invite our diagnostician. We'll invite, you know, if we're concerned about some social skills, we might invite our speech pathologist mm -hmm. uh, who is an expert in social skills and, and you know, pragmatic language. Um, we'll have administrators there, classroom teachers there. Um, we look at all kinds of data. We, we pull their MAP scores. We pull, you know, if they are a student that took assessment through STAR, we'll pull that. Mm -hmm. Any kind of evaluation, whether it's from a private resource or if it was done in Richardson ISD. So we're Putting looking at all, all of that. the heads so, together right, to talk together. about this child mm -hmm. and how we mm -hmm. can make this child yeah. successful. Absolutely. And yep. sometimes, you know, so especially if, if a student is really struggling, that's something that usually a teacher will mm -hmm. want to put together. So yeah. so we we organize that and get everybody around the table and try to figure out how to help. I don't think parents help. realize that that happens. They don't. Right? I Sometimes, don't think they, yeah. they realize that how much support is happening, how many heads, how Behind many folks, yeah. you know, are really working to, to help the child. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially if they're, you know, I, I don't mean this in the wrong way, but especially if really they're in a critical state, yeah. if they're on fire, yeah. then, you know, we're, we're talking constantly. I mean, I barely can make it from one end of the hallway to the <laughs> other without somebody stopping me and asking me a question about something with a student or this or that. Um, yeah. So, and I know I'm not the only one, obviously teachers are doing it with each other. They're always collaborating right. with their teammates, with last year's teacher, with a, a lower grade teacher, even if it's from a different school. I mean, we're always collaborating. Hey, this kid with us understand. as the we have 100%. lots of conversations 100%. with with teachers and with school absolutely. counselors absolutely um, with with releases of course yes. um, from both sides from both sides yep. <laughs> um, but yeah and yeah. I find that to be really helpful, oh, so helpful because when we talk with our private from the school side when we talk with private or from the private side when we talk with school trying to really streamline the language yeah. that we're using yeah. is so powerful to help a kiddo yeah, yeah. so so what is 504? Oh. What is special education? Okay. What <laughs> All right, is let's IEP? dig in. Dig let's, in. Get, let's get in there. These okay. things, I mean, and how, when is it determined that we need to move in that kind of direction? So I think, you know, again, really, whether it's families that are doing some outside evaluation or the school recommending evaluation, however that looks, when we do um, when we do an evaluation, we do what's called a full and individual evaluation. Okay, and so, is that at these meetings that you have about a student? Is that not, sometimes that point in time when you decide to do an evaluation through the school? Well, we don't ever we don't ever decide that. I mean, that's really a parent's decision. A parent is always our guiding voice. So we might talk about some options, and then maybe either that classroom teacher or maybe uh, one of our principals and the teacher will talk with the parent, or I will talk with the parent with the teacher, or the teacher and her partner will, you know, if they're so that departmentalized. Needs to be picked up by the parent. Yeah. Well, it's it's a collaboration. Okay. So if if on from our end we have some concerns, we might make that recommendation. But if a parent's like no, that's not something, or I'm going to do that outside of school, or I'm, I'm really not ready to do. We're always going to respect where the parent is. And I think that's a cornerstone really for people to understand is that we're really, we are very well aware that parents are our guiding voice. And mm -hmm. so while we may have some ideas about what we think might be in the best interest of their child, it is their child and right. they are really there to help us and work with us. And that's why I think trust and, and mm -hmm. relationship is so powerful because 
Um, schools a long time ago were very different and sometimes families don't trust schools. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's, it's a lot of delicate dancing in that arena. Mm -hmm. But to your question about the, the when and who, really, if we have that conversation internally, then of course we're going to lean into the family and ask what their feedback is and what are they thinking and do they think that's an okay, would they want to proceed with that? If and it's testing coming from is a, simply trying to yeah, understand, right. understand this right. child, see what their strengths, For what sure. their weaknesses are, sure. so that we can eat, really understand. beef up the weaker areas and also play to the stronger ones. Mm -hmm. For 100%, but it really is about trust, right? Mm -hmm. So our families have to know that we have their best interest and their child's best interest at heart. And if you, as an adult, had a bad experience somewhere along the way, or you saw students being treated a certain way because they were identified or labeled, that's a word I get all the time, labeled in some way or another, that's what they're walking in the door with. Mm -hmm. They don't want their kid labeled. Right. And so that's something yeah. to work through with that family. And again, it's all about trust and mm -hmm. helping doing them some understand. education, helping doing, them understand yeah, what absolutely. the purpose is. But so when we do a full, if the school is doing it, if we do a full and individual evaluation, we will look at any area of what we call suspected disability. So if there is a suspicion that there's autism or the family is interested in autism or there's, you know, speech and language or academic or dyslexia now is falling under special education. So that's a huge mm -hmm. shift out of 504. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's like breaking happening now. Um, so uh, if they look at emotional disturbance, which is not my favorite terminology for um, a student who might be struggling with depression or anxiety or um, the like, um, or what we call OHI, which is other health impairment, which is ADHD. So, or medical. For, or medical. So two things have to be present if they are going to qualify for specialized instruction. Okay. The first thing is that there's an impairment, that there's, there's an identified weakness that, you know, rises to the level of impairment and that the student needs specialized instruction. So both of those things have to be present for them to meet eligibility for special education. Okay. Um, in section five, so special, so special education is a larger, more protected program where there is pull out, push in support that's provided um, by a trained professional, mm -hmm. special education teacher. Possibly have modifications to they curriculum could, if necessary. Could. Yes, that's, you know. More rare. More on the rarer side mm -hmm. if a student is significantly, significantly mm -hmm. below. Mm -hmm. I mean, specialized special education ranges all the way from very, very low IQ specialized programs um, and then all the way up to, you know, we have kids who are gifted and talented, mm -hmm. have dyslexia, mm -hmm. have autism. So mm -hmm. they can, they can have umbrella. their hands in a lot of different pots and uh, speech and language, like not saying their R's correctly. That's specialized That's still instruction, under specialized right? Specialized instruction. <laughs> right? So yeah. that is a big umbrella, very protected umbrella. And then Section 504 is a little bit different. Section 504 is an anti-discrimination statute mm -hmm. that was put in place back in the 70s. Uh, it started with an airline pilot who got fired because he broke his arm. And so they, so that was obviously unfair and unjust. And um, so basically, Section 504 is really about protecting students with an impairment. So 
two things also have to be present in Section 504. Number one, there has to be this impairment, mm -hmm. a, a diagnosis. And number two, it has to substantially limit a major life activity. And that's where it gets a little like, oh, but they're a straight A student. Oh, but everything's going well. So we kind of have to dive deeper mm -hmm. with in a different way with Section 504, because a lot of times kids will come to school and they look like they got it all going on. Mm -hmm. But really at home, they're imploding. Right. And, and so, and that's what you guys deal with and what right. their families deal with. And so we really have to have a lot of those conversations because we need to bring that down a notch. And what's now, very interesting here is that, you know, there's a couple of arenas that, as you've already alluded to, fall under 504 mm -hmm. many times, mm -hmm. which is ADHD, ADHD and dyslexia. Just two common ones. Well, dyslexia is now moving to specialized is instruction. It? It's out of 504. Okay. It's pretty much, it, it's if, if they are receiving, and I'm just clarifying, if they are receiving dyslexia instruction services, services mm -hmm. where it they're getting over. pulled out, mm -hmm. it is special education. Mm -hmm. When they graduate that program and they're only receiving accommodations, as I see it right now, and this they is all hot off the press, they go back to 504 because now that we're makes only, sense. it does. Now we're only providing instructional accommodations in yeah. the classroom. In the classroom. Now, Correct. and then even kids with anxiety can be in 504. 100%. However, if any of that, I guess what you're saying, uh, needs specialized instruction mm -hmm. or help, that's going to be under the bigger umbrella of special education. Correct. Okay. So if their behaviors, if their anxiety, depression, fall, if it interferes to a great degree with instruction, with their instruction, then it, it very well could fall under specialized sure. instruction. If they really just need some accommodations, mm -hmm. and I, I don't want to minimize it. I know I'm saying if they just, mm -hmm. it's it, there's no minimizing because mm -hmm. it's equally as important and very, very helpful. I happen to be a very big fan of Section 504 when it's mm -hmm. right for students mm -hmm. um, because it could simply be that that student needs a break. Like we need to let them go yeah. take a walk around what we call walk around the block, you know, just take a walk, yeah. go, you know, get a drink of water, go, you know, just little things, mm -hmm. prioritize late work. I mean, there's so many different things that a kid right. can have support with. Yeah that is easy peasy it's what a classroom teacher would do anyway but we're putting it on a document that floats amongst the adults at least in elementary school that really just kind of lets everybody know mm -hmm. what this kiddo needs it's we we say it's like it's leveling the playing field it's yeah. just making life you know what they need yeah. can you address one little part of this that can sometimes be confusing and this is confusing i mean it, really it is, is confusing but, and that's why i say talk to your educators but um <laughs> What is the difference between diagnosis and eligibility? Ooh, um, well, I'm going to take a stab at it, okay? Good, I'm because not, I'm not an expert at the language. Ed, they're wanting eligibility, correct? Well, you, so you can have a diagnosis, but in order to be eligible, your impairment or your diagnosis much must rise to the level of needing specialized instruction. Okay, so that's the key. That's the difference. Is, that's the difference. So with special education, you're rising to the level of needing specialized instruction. So if you have a kiddo who's very anxious and, and we really need to get in there and teach skills and they need pull-out support um, for, for whatever social skills or, you know, whatever it is that they need, if it's an academic issue, providing that support, either pull out, push in, really doing a lot more push in, to be very honest with you, than pull out. But that's 
needing specialized instruction. If the student does not need specialized instruction and they have an impairment and it substantially limits a major life activity, then they would receive their support services through Section 504. Okay. Does that help? It helps. It does. It does. It is, it is confusing, it I is think, confusing. for families. Um, I know with my boys, we one with dysgraphia and ADHD and the other with dyslexia, which it is, I, I did not realize that Brand now new. it's going under. Um, Hot off the press. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. I think that would but have it makes been. Sense. It does make sense. It makes sense. sense. They are being yeah. pulled out, you know, Absolutely. from life and cycle every day. Yeah. So, yeah. And I loved, you know, early on when I was learning how to navigate all these things, um, I, I love the language that you used, you know, that, that the support services that they're receiving is just to level the playing field. It's exactly it, what it is. You know, and it's not to make it easier. It's not to, 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 you know, that they're going to do better on tech or, uh, you know, it's just to level the playing field. And I think that's so important. And I think early on, and, and, you know, obviously we've been doing section 504 for a very long time Mm -hmm. early on, like people are like, but, but, you know, my kid could be doing better, but that's not what section 504 is. It's about making equal access. Everybody should get equal access. Whether they do better or however they do, that's they need extra that's, time, right? Whatever that is, need, whatever it might be, that's right. Yep. But it's equal access to uh, the curriculum and yep. to all yep. that school has to offer. Yep. Well, maybe we can shift a little bit and talk more about the social and emotional supports that mm-hmm. that you can provide. Um, just as a school counselor, I know in our practice, we're seeing so much anxiety, so much anxiety. Um, starting, you know, at such a, at such a young age and many, many kids struggling with school refusal, mm-hmm. struggling with, you know, mm-hmm. separation anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's just wonderful school counselors and teachers that are doing so many things um, to support these students. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what how yeah. you navigate those I mean, things. They, they are very challenging and it's so clear that, you know, I kind of look at it from a place of if a student could do it differently, they would, right? right? So yeah. if, they, if it was easy to just walk in like every other kid just walks in and goes about their day, they would because right. they don't want it either. Mm-hmm. They wish, you know, that it was easier for them too. So acknowledging kind of where they are and just understanding that this is really has to be a painful place for that student and of course i live by this statement um you know when 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 your kiddo hurts you hurt more Mm -hmm. and so as a parent watching your child struggle it's 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 like a knife and you know right to the soul so you know i know it's so hard for families and i how do we tackle it i mean it's really it's really a all hands on deck approach, yes. you know, again, I mean, I can't think of a day that I don't walk into one of my principal's office, like, okay, I just did this. What do you think? You know, we're always collaborating, mm-hmm. you know, they're always, even though we have very different roles, even though as a school counselor, it's our job to keep students information confidential, of course, but like day-to-day operations mm-hmm. of supporting a kid and helping a kid, like we've all been around kids for a long time. And, and for us, it's so important to collaborate. So, and I'm fortunate enough, I have a partner on my campus, so we kind of work together in tandem. So if we have a kiddo that's struggling to come in or come to school, you know, we're working with that student, working with that family, trying to find the little needle in the haystack Mm -hmm. that maybe we can get a handle on so that we can help that student. And sometimes 
it's just deregulation from coming from home and into this stressful environment and, you know, giving them a few minutes to deregulate. Sometimes it's just cro literally crossing the threshold. Mm -hmm. And once they're in school, I cannot tell you mm -hmm. how many kids get on the other side of the hallway after mommy's gone or daddy or whomever is dropping them off. Guardian is dropping them off. Whoever that is, they get around the corner and it's like their yep. shoulders release. They're done. And they mosey on about their day walk okay. to class and they're okay. okay but it's that let go moment and and you know I, I think my partner and I we hang out at kindergarten for the first like three weeks of school right. you know for kinder and first yeah. you know we're, and first we're kind grade of there too. right um you know right. when it's an extended break we'll kind of hang out down there we kind of just know that it's yeah. it's a hard time but we yeah. have older kids like I mean, oh, yeah. I've, I've had a lot of older kids over the course of my time where I'm walking out to the car every morning mm -hmm. and having them come in or, you know, I think the bottom line is um, good, good school professionals are willing to do whatever it takes yeah. to help a kiddo feel safe and comfortable. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. I think Tell me. that having listened to you today, everyone's going to want to get their kid in Brentville. <laughs> I'm sorry. But let me just tell you, I'm very fortunate because not only do I get to work with both of you, and I, I feel so blessed to be able to do that, and I also get to go to work every day at school. I also serve um, as a board member on the Lone Star State School Counselor Association, that's a mouthful, board, mm -hmm. um, as the chair of ethics. But what why I'm sharing that with you is I work with so many passionate school counselors mm -hmm. and they share how their school districts, whether they're rural, small school districts that, you know, they have one counselor and maybe that counselor is even traveling between buildings. I mean, people who choose this job, any of us in school, no matter what our role is, mm -hmm. it's because we love kids. Yeah. And so there are great school counselors all over Texas. Oh yeah. Oh, it's yeah. unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I was I'm one so, of those. Really yes, you great. are. <laughs> it's in your heart, right? I will always be a school counselor, no matter okay. what I do. So yeah. you also work with us in private practice. And what kinds of issues have you dealt with? And also, are there any particular areas that you have a special interest in? Mm. Okay, so what have I dealt with at uh, in private? A lot of anxiety, like both of you. Um, a lot of social stuff. Um, kids struggling to read social cues and conflict with peers and things like that. I, I, I work a lot with that. Um, anger. Um, just changing families or some of my clients oh, have yeah. different, you know, evolving families or whatever's happening mm -hmm. um, in their in their family of origin. So some of that stuff as well. Um, I love that work. I, I really do. I, I feel so incredibly fortunate to be able to um, work with those students. But I think I think what I'm learning is it really. I, and I think I think you will agree. I mean, it just takes time. I think when sometimes when families come to private counseling, it's like, oh, that there's going to be a magic wand or five right. sessions were done, and it's just kind of not like that. And right. kids are a little unpredictable, and it just takes time for them to feel safe and comfortable, and then also willing to, after having an exhausting long day at school, mm -hmm. come into our office. And while I'll say it's a very cool office with lots of cool stuff to do, um, I, sometimes it's hard to talk about their day, right? you know, right. and that's, you know, we have a short amount of time to get to the meat and potatoes of our work, but I'm learning all the time, new tools and tricks to kind of get there faster, but, but, um, it's a craft and, uh, I agree. I'm, I'm working hard 
to learn and I have a lot more to learn, but I enjoy it. And I think that is, you know, to have that attitude is always important, no matter how long we've done it. Mm -hmm. oh, I have so much are, to learn every day. We are mm -hmm. always growing. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, do you have anything that really tugs at your heart? Let me give you an example. When I, well, prior to my divorce, I had worked with kids in divorce and families and dealt with all of that. But when I got to walk through divorce land for the first time, oh my word, now I'm seeing it from a new mm -hmm. perspective, mm -hmm. a different perspective. And I suddenly had much more of a heart, you know, the heart, yeah. mm -hmm. a heart for kids walking through divorce land, moms walking through divorce land, dads walking through divorce mm -hmm. land. Yeah. And divorce land to me is not only the process of going through a divorce, but post-divorce too. Yeah. We're yeah. in divorce land. Yeah. And um, so- Very different than that, that, Barbie land. Yeah. <laughs> it became quite more yeah. of a heart thing. Is yeah. there anything that tugs at your heart? 100%. So um, similar, to you in the sense that from my own background, um, as an elementary school student, I went to public school. I um, had some vision issues. I had big bottle cap glasses, a big old patch on my eye, and I could not read. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a picture posted in my school office and it's a newspaper clipping saying, helping Robin read. And um, I was getting intervention at public school, but didn't even know why. There was no real name. Dyslexia was really only coined in the 70s. Um, and so I struggled a lot as a student. I really didn't feel like I had advocates, except for my parents, thank you, mom and dad, um, because I just felt like there was red ink all over my paper. Nobody really wanted to help. I didn't feel like the teacher was, I felt like she was bothered by me. Um, and, and so um, I struggled a lot. My parents finally, um, put me in private school, had me tested, um, and then eventually I went back to public school. I, I really think a lot of that defined who I am, and I really believed, and I still believe, like, I want to help kids. I want them to feel like they are enough, they are good, they can they um, can work towards something, and, and just because there's something that is difficult for you doesn't mean it defines you. Right. So right. for me, yeah. I feel like that's a big, powerful pull to why I chose to practice in schools. And why you are so good. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, I can still see myself crying over my textbooks and like falling asleep because I couldn't read them. And plus my eyes were tired because one, one, you know, one's blind. And so I'd hear my dad coming down the hallway and I'd wake up and like, I had no idea what I just read. And, yeah. you know, I'd have a test or something. So when you really said red marks, I remember mm -hmm. reading somewhere, someone said, my paper looks like it bled to death. Right, so that's what mine looked like. You know, um, back in the day, the teachers had a pen. One side was blue and one side was red. And when she'd flip it to the red side, I knew it was my paper. And I was like, oh, Lord. And, you know, I just didn't you spell. Didn't know. You I didn't, didn't know. know. And I didn't know. But let me tell you something. I can spell beautifully and I can read and write and I read books all the time. And that's what I share with my students who have dyslexia. Like, it, it, when you have the intervention and you have an opportunity to improve, um, and learn and grow, then you, the future, the world is your oyster, no matter what your impairment is, you know? Well, we're so that's just about out of time. Thank you so much. I mean, 
I think everyone's going to want to come see you at our <laughs> clinic, and they're going to be moving to Brentfield. So, oh. sorry. Um, now, Justin, as a final little yeah. thing, a little tidbit, what can moms and dads maybe do or have in their head or have in their heart that can help their kids this school year? What would be oh. something that you could say would be a value for moms and dads? Because we're talking about moms and dads and families and kids and they're, like you said, they're sons and daughters and they adore right. them and love right. them. Is I, there something that you yeah. would suggest to help their school year be something that is positive and, and, and growth enhancing for their kid? I love that. And I know I probably don't have enough time to fully answer this question. So I'm going to give it my best try fast. Yeah. In one word. I re oh, oh, no, I don't have that. I can't do that. Um, I really feel like parents, um, again, going back to, I know that families hurt when their kids hurt. And I sometimes we get real reactive, like we want to fix, we want to solve. And I just feel like it's so powerful if we focus on where the lesson is. What can my kid learn from this, regardless of what is happening with any other kid or what wasn't fair or how it went. And, and I understand that, like I, I'm a parent of two boys, you know, and I, I get that my kids are not perfect. And, um, but I really feel like it's powerful to have deep, important conversations with your kids, really have those awkward conversations. It's okay. I know it's uncomfortable, but please try to have those hard conversations, awkward, ask the questions, nothing you're going to ask is going to plant a seed and then pay attention. If they're asking for information, then give it. And you know, you don't have to give extra if you feel like the topic is like mm -hmm. a little bit of a sensitive one. Just give them what you think they need, but definitely keep that door open. One of the things I think I have done successfully as a parent is my kids really know that they can talk to me about anything. And they choose whether they choose to or not, you know, I, I but I really always say there's nothing you're gonna tell me that I haven't heard before or that, you know, I can't handle. Now that doesn't mean I might not go in my closet and scream <laughs> at the top of my lungs. Or cry. Or cry. <laughs> and it's definitely been done before, but I yeah. really try to hold the line. Like there's, I want you to know you can come to me. I, and I just think that, you know, as families have more exposure to technology, and again, we could go forever. As families have more exposure to more things our students do, it's really important to have boundaries. I know your kid is good when they're, fi when they're in fifth grade or, fourth grade and they would never do wrong, but really having those boundaries early on so that when you have to put rules in place, it's not too far gone where they think that you're now just being mean. No, if you always have the rules in place, then you can back off when you need to, when they're 18 or 19, <laughs> but really <laughs> just things or 28, just things that, you know, seem simple, but just, you know, talk yes. to adults. Yes. Yes. Great. Thank you. We are so privileged, as I said before, to have Robin with us today and to really kind of learn from her wisdom. If you want more information about our site, please go to www.drbecklof.com, drbecklof.com, and you can find more information about our, our services there and uh, even maybe sign up with Robin. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you guys. Thank you guys both so Thank much. You. I feel so lucky to get to work with you guys every every day. <laughs>